I'm going to pray as we uh, begin our time tonight in looking at what the scripture has to say about money. So, Father, would you um, just even now open our hearts and open our minds and open our eyes to receive what you want uh, for us? God, I know that um, in this room we come from different backgrounds and we come um, just different places in our spiritual journey, and uh, some of us. Um, are walking in here tonight struggling and burdened and some of us are walking in joyful and our hearts are full and just all sorts of different places that we come in here tonight. But God, I ask that as we uh, look at this topic that you would speak to each one of us and you would help us to receive what you have for us. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, so we are talking about money for uh, three weeks. We started last week, and last week we began talking about just some of the, the heart behind money, that money is a difficult issue for pretty much every single person. Pretty much all of us have emotions around money and heartfelt issues around money, and we talked about that uh, last week. And, and tonight we're going to talk about just kind of how we spend our money, not so much the, the heart issues behind it, but, but how is it that we use our money and how is it that we should use our money. And so I want to start with just some uh, statistics on uh, how we use money. So here's some kind of various things that, that we will look at here. And the first one is this, 34.5% of the money the average American takes home is spent on interest, including credit cards and auto loans. That's very depressing, right? You're like, oh, yes, that's, or some of you are probably like, that's it, only 34.5%? Uh, this is how credit card companies uh, stay in business. And here's the second one. Americans spent more than $15 billion on jeans in 2005. I don't even know what it is in 2016, but I could only find the jeans stat for 2005, and it's $15 billion. I think it's a little sexist that there's only females on this picture because I'm currently wearing jeans. Um, but $15 billion on jeans, that's a lot. Or this one is very depressing. Americans throw away $62 million worth of coins every year. If you could find some way to say, wait, please, just don't throw it away, I'll collect it. If you could do that, that's, that could be a business just in and of itself, a $62 million uh, coin business. Okay, so here's the next one. $1.5 trillion are paid in bribes every year, according to a World Bank estimate. I don't think anyone knows the exact amount, because like, how you don't declare that on your taxes. How much did you, uh, how much did you spend on bribes this year? But that's the estimate. $1.5 trillion every single year in bribes. I, I want to kind of do a little poll and see how many, has, how many of you have bribed somebody, but we won't, we won't do that. Um, if you bribe me next Sunday, I'll do it. We'll do a poll. Okay, so, and then there's this one. Americans spent about $61.4 billion on their pets in 2011. I know several of you have pets. They've got sweaters. They've got uh, their own bedrooms, all sorts of stuff, right? $61.4 billion. Here's another pet one for you. Americans spend more money on pets yearly than Germany spends on its entire defense budget. So either that means Germany is very unsafe or we are obsessed with pets, right? One or the other or perhaps uh, both. And then uh, I'm going to read you some stats. I couldn't make a slide for each of these, but these are 20 ways Americans are blowing their money on USA Today um, and, and a couple stats from some other places. But let me just read you some more of these. In 2000, America, in 2000 Americans spent... $203 billion on entertainment products and services. So some of these maybe will get a little bit closer to home. Uh, $67.9 billion of which was spent on television, radio, sound equipment. $56.3 billion spent on 
fees and admissions for theater, amusement park tickets, and the like. In 2004, Americans spent $288 billion on domestic travel and tourism. So those of you that like to travel, you like to see different places in the U.S. In uh, 2004, Americans spent $29 billion in sporting goods stores, getting your ski equipment, getting your coats, uh, your hiking gear. 2003, Americans spent $45 billion in state lotteries. And here's a recent one for Halloween. This is this year. Americans spent more money on Halloween costumes, candy, and decorations this year than in any year since the group first began keeping track of the number 11 years ago, a whopping $8.4 billion just on Halloween stuff. That's kind of crazy. Uh, Americans waste $165 billion annually by tossing away unwanted snacks and meals. That's a little crazy. And uh, average American consumer dedicates 1% of all of their spending to, what do you think? Alcohol. Some of you are like, 1%? That's it? 2012, $2 billion worth of gift cards would go unredeemed that year. <laughs> Please. You're like, alcohol. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gift cards. No. Nobody uses it. Barnes and Noble and Old Navy. It's like there's always 852 on it left, you know? Like, what am I going to get with this? I can't believe the gasping. <gasps> no. <laughs> That's going to be the most emotional response of the whole sermon. Um, and then finally, Americans who regularly buy coffee throughout the week spend on average $1,100 on coffee annually. So these are just some ways that we spend our money. We all make decisions on how we're going to spend our money, right? All of us every day are making decisions on how we spend our money, sometimes annually, sometimes monthly. We make decisions on how are we going to spend our money. And here's, here's what we all know. Whatever you believe about Jesus, whatever you believe about God, whatever you believe even about money, here's, here's what we all know. How we spend our money matters, right? It doesn't matter what you value. We can have different values. We can have different opinions, but we all know that how we spend our money matters. We may have different uh, views on what that is. We may have different opinions on what that is, but we all know that how we spend our money matters, and we're making decisions all the time on where that money goes, and something is going to govern that. Something's going to govern the decisions that we make about where the money's going to go. That might be your past, the way you were raised probably influences some of the decisions on here's where money should go, here's where it shouldn't go. It may be uh, the way that your parents kind of viewed money. It may influence your decisions about uh, money. It, it may be your kids, that you, the way you spend your money is governed by uh, tuition that's going to be paid in the future or about uh, what kind of education you want them to have or about what kind of house or what kind of school or what kind of neighborhoods you want them to live in. So maybe your kids that, that govern how some of the money is spent, or, or maybe just your hobbies and, and the kind of lifestyle that you want. But we all spend money, and we know that it matters, and we all have to make decisions all the time. We're spending money all the time, and something or some things govern how we spend our money. Some of you may know this. You may know, yeah, here, these are kind of the governing factors in my mind of, of how money is spent. And maybe, maybe you don't, but, but we make decisions and something, something will govern how the money is spent. And, and what Jesus would say to us, what the Bible says to us, is that what should govern our spending 
what should govern how we make choices and how we make the decisions on where it should all go is this principle. It all belongs to God. So, I mean, the Bible is filled with stuff about this, but let me just give you a few verses. The first is from Psalm 24. It says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So that's very broadly speaking. Everything belongs to God. It's all his, everyone, everything. And, and then more specifically in Haggai, it says this, The silver is mine and the gold is mine. Or today, the, the cash is mine, and the credit cards are mine, and the banks are mine, declares the Lord Almighty. And then Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, even, even as you think about that you make money, it says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. See, when we talk about money, the governing principle, we, we all have to have something that governs how we spend our money, Right? Something has to govern it. It may be kids, it may be your past, it may be uh, your, pers- your preferred future. It, and the Bible says this. Here's what needs to be the underlying principle that governs how we spend our money. It all belongs to God. That's what the Bible's vision is of our wealth. That he's the one that gives us the ability to produce it. That he's the one that owns it. That the world is his and the money is his. And that's a very kind of just foundational, ground-level principle that the Bible says, look, here's what you need to govern your spending decisions. All money belongs to him. Now, obviously, God doesn't have it just sitting in a bank, right? We have it. We have it. It's in our bank. And see, all the money belongs to him, and yet he entrusts it to us. All the money, God says, is mine. It belongs to me. But, but God doesn't, there's not just first bank of God, right? He gives it to us, and we have it in our hands. We have the money. So it's all God's, but he entrusts it to us. And this is, this is a concept that the Bible talks about called stewardship, that we are stewards of God's money. It's not ours, but he's entrusted it to us. For those of you that are parents or for those of you that have ever babysat, if you give your kids to someone, you're, you're not saying, these kids are yours now, see you later. You're saying, these are my kids, but I'm entrusting them to you. I want you to treat these kids and and take care of these kids the way that I would because they belong to me, but I'm giving them to you to take care of. And that's what the Bible's concept of money is. It's that it all belongs to him. This is the foundational principle that should govern everything. It belongs to him, but he's entrusted it to us. Now, here's what that means. It means he cares what happens with it. It means he cares what happens with it. And it means that when we think about how we spend money, whether that's towards jeans or it's towards pets or it's towards entertainment, when we think about how we spend money, if kind of the the ground level principle is this, it's all God's and he's entrusted it to us, it means this, we should be considering, God, what do you want to be done with your money? If you've given me this money and it belongs to you and, and you've entrusted it to me, but, but I'm not actually the owner of it, then God, what do you want to be done with your money? See, that's the, the ground level principle that the Bible wants us to think about because we're spending money all the time, right? 
We spend money all the time. We're spending money right now. We don't even, we're not thinking about that, but if you have a rent or you have uh, any sort of bills, we're spending money. If you have a phone, you're spending money every second. We're always spending money. And the average person between the time that they're 21 and when they retire will make about $2 million. Some of you will make more than that. Some of you maybe will make less than that. But the average person from the, from the time they're 21 to the time that they retire will make about $2 million. So what are we going to do with that money? How, how should we spend that money? The foundational principle is this. It belongs to God. But what does that mean? How should we spend it? Should we save it? Should we give it all to the poor? What, what should we do with it? Should it all go towards genes? Well, what should we do with it? Should we help Germany out since they're struggling? What do we do? And let's start with this. I, I want to start with kind of the negative. What do we need to avoid in how we use money? So if it's all God's and it all belongs to him, and that should be kind of our governing principle, what do we need to avoid in how we use money? And Jesus tells us a story. It's a parable, which means it's, it's just an illustration. It's a story that he uses to kind of talk about how we shouldn't spend our money. So let's look at this parable in Luke chapter 12. It says this, he told them a parable, this is Jesus, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So he, there's got this farmer, and, he, and he's got a business, and his land is it's just off the charts, right? And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So he's got so much that he actually doesn't have enough places to store it. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And the story ends and he says this, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What do we need to avoid in how we use money? What's Jesus teaching us here? This is a really interesting story because if you look at this guy, he has what many of us are actually working for. He, he's actually a success story. If this happened today, he'd be on, he'd be on the cover of Forbes magazine. He'd be, on, I mean, he'd be someone that we'd go, man, this guy's successful. He, he was so successful in his work. I mean, think about if you're so successful in your work that you're like, I've got so much money I need actually a bigger bank. That's basically what's happening with him. He is so successful in his work. He goes, I, don't, I can't even contain all of how successful I've been. This is what we're actually working for a lot of the time. You, you look at that story and go, man, that's, that's the American dream right there. He did a good job. And, and then what happens? He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to relax. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. And I'm going to be merry. I mean, what do we call that? Retirement. I mean, he, so... But then Jesus is saying, this is foolish. I think that's interesting because we look at this picture, and if, if we didn't have the end of the story, and we would have said, hey, there's a guy, and he's super successful, and he, he makes so much money that he actually has to tear down the old barns and big builder barns and, and uh, build bigger barns, and, and, and he, he, uh, he's going to relax, he's going to eat, he's going to drink, he's going to be merry, we would go, success or not success? Wise or foolish? Most of us would be like, man, that's awesome. That's what I want. But then what happens? God shows up. 
Now, most of us, if God would show up in our life, we would go, that'd be awesome. I want God to show up in my life. God, will you speak to me? Will you show up? Maybe he prayed those prayers. And God does. Like, it's sweet, it's God. But the first word out of God's mouth is what? Fool. That's, that's not what I was hoping for. He shows up and he says, fool. But what's so foolish about this? Because we would actually look at it as a success story. It doesn't say that he was immoral in making his money. It doesn't say he was stealing in making his money. It doesn't say he was frivolous in his money. So what about it is so foolish? Why why does Jesus tell this story and say, God shows up and calls the dude a fool? When we would probably look at that and go, that is wise. That's what I'm trying to emulate, actually. That's actually my life goal and my life vision right there. Why is it foolish? And here's what Jesus says. The problem here is that the man's heart was, I've been successful, I've made money, and here's the problem, here's the folly, here's the foolishness. How can I keep it? How can I keep it? In fact, I'm going to build bigger barns so I can keep more of it. Jesus says, here's what was foolish. This man was storing up treasure for himself. Here's what's foolish, Jesus says. You cannot keep this stuff. Your your life, you don't know when your life is going to end. Your life may end, and he says, actually, your life is ending tonight. You thought you had this vision. You thought you had this plan. You thought you were settled for retirement, but your life is ending tonight. And here's what's foolish. Here's the folly that Jesus sees in this. He says, the the foolishness is the heart that says, when I make, how can I keep? When I make, how can I keep? How can I spend my money on things for right now? And Jesus says, this is foolish because ultimately you can't actually keep these things. You may be able to keep them for five years or 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. Maybe even some of us in this room, if if we're spending our money and we're successful, we may be able to keep that for the next 60 years. But Jesus says, it's going to be gone. And it's foolish if the main driving principle in our heart is how can I keep? But if we're on it, Isn't that mainly how we think about money? If we make money, we go, this is great. I'm going to build a bigger barn, which means this. I make more money, I get a bigger house. I make more money, I get a nicer car. I make more money, I get more things. I make more money. that's, That's usually actually how we completely operate, which is what he did. He was successful, and so he built a bigger barn. He was successful, he built a bigger barn. And Jesus goes, fool. He says, you're, you're, you're thinking about money with the principle that is, how can I keep it? How can I spend it? Now, here's, here's the truth. Most of us don't view ourselves doing what Jesus says this man was doing. Jesus says that the one who lays up treasures for himself is a fool. But most of us don't think of ourselves that way. Most of us don't think of our lives as I'm storing up treasures for myself. And here's why. Because we don't look at ourselves necessarily and go, man, I'm super rich. I'm super wealthy. 
I'm super extravagant. I mean, I, don't, I didn't see any, I haven't been out there a little bit, but I didn't see any Ferraris parked out there, you know. And most of us probably don't have, you know, four houses and uh, one that's in, you know, the Alps and one that's in Aspen and, you know, a small little condo here and a, and a small house, you know, down in Parker or something. You know, most of us don't, don't have that. And so we look at our lives and, and we go, this isn't me. This isn't describing me. I'm not somebody that's laying up treasures for myself. Maybe Jesus is talking about those people that we look at that everybody goes, man, they're just totally wasting money and super excessive. But, but that's not what Jesus says. He says that it's the person that is driven by, how can I keep this? How can I build a bigger barn? How can I get more? How can I, how can I keep? Jesus compares being rich toward God and laying up treasures in heaven. And so if you think about how our, how our money decisions are made, what governs how we spend money, is it usually, how can I be rich towards God? Or is normally what governs our money decisions, how can I keep? How can I build bigger barns? How can I have more? How can I eat, drink, relax, and be merry? How can I save so that I've got even more? And Jesus says, here's the problem. Here's the problem with that. It's governed, it's governed by 40 years. It's governed by 50 years. It's governed by, it's governed by such a small sliver of time. So when we think about our money-making decisions, Jesus says, you know why this is foolish? Because it's such a small amount of time that you're thinking about. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? See, if our main money-making decisions are just about this life, and there really is an eternity, Jesus says that's such a small way to view your money. Okay, so what should we do with our money? If that's the negative example, how, how should we use the money that we've been given? So the underlying principle that the Bible says is this. All money is God's money, but he's entrusted it to us. So the, the governing factor in how we spend our money should be, God, how do you want me to use your money? And the way he doesn't want us to use it is to say, how can I keep this? How can I, how can I just keep increasing my standard of living? Because Jesus says that's such a small view. But how should we use our money? And, and here's another story that, that Jesus tells. And I love this story because nobody talks about this. This is such a weird story. Nobody talks about it because Jesus uses kind of a shady character as a positive example. So I love this story. It's great because it's sort of mind-bending. And so here's the story. It says this. He said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. Okay, so this guy gets fired. You got a rich guy, the boss, and you got the manager. Okay, and the manager is being accused of wasting his boss's money. And so the guy says, okay, you're, you're fired. You're done. Okay, so you've got this bad manager who hasn't been doing a good job that's wasting money, and he gets laid off. But he probably, you know, because of HIPAA or whatever, he's got a couple weeks left. So what happens? What do you do? Here's what he does. And the manager said to himself, hmm, 
What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I love that. Just like I'm not a blue-collar guy, okay? I'm kind of weak. I've got a desk job. He knows. I like it. He knows himself. He's like, I'm an accountant. What am I? I can't dig. I love it. And I, I, I never noticed that till today. I was reading it. I was like, that's just hilarious. He's like talking to himself. I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm ashamed to beg. So he's like, I'm not going to go out and beg. I'm not going to dig. I decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So he's like, I got a plan. I'm going to get laid off. I'm going to get fired. No way I'm going to dig. I'm not going to beg. But I got a plan so that when I'm, when I'm, when I'm done, people receive me into their houses. So I'm still stable. I still got friends. I still, I'm still able to survive. I'm still able to thrive. Here's his plan. So summoning his master's debtors one by one. So he calls everyone that owes his boss money. How much do you owe my master, he said. A hundred measures of oil. I guess they're Texas. Okay, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Cuts it in half. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. If I'm that guy, I'm upset if I was next in line. And I heard, wait, wait, don't you mean 50? And he's like, no, 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 sorry. Okay. So you see what he's doing? He's cutting everybody's debts. He's making friends. So the master commended, the master hears about this, and the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. So the master actually hears about it and goes, wow, that guy's a genius. And then the story ends, and Jesus says this. For the sons of this world, talking about people that are not Christians, he says, this guy was a dishonest guy, okay? The sons of this world are more shrewd, they're smart, in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. He says, this guy is smart. He's got wisdom. He was thinking ahead. And then here's Jesus' kind of fuller point. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. That doesn't mean gaining it unrighteously. It just means money that's out there. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails that they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Here's what Jesus says. You know, you know what that manager did that was good? You know what he did that was good? He was, he was thinking ahead. He, he knew that in a little bit he was about to be laid off, so he's thinking ahead, and he's building a plan so that, that his money is working for him ahead. And Jesus says this, look, I want you to think even further than that. I want you to think even past that. I, I want you to think about using the money you have for eternity. I want you to think about using the money that you have, and he actually says to make friends because what matters to God is people. He says, I want you to use money now so that in eternity, there's people that are your friends. Now, now here's what he's saying. He's not just saying go buy friendships. We know what Jesus' heart is, which is that Jesus loves people, and he wants people to know him, and he wants people to experience his love, and he wants people to experience his grace. And so he tells them, use your money now 
for what matters to me. Use your money now for what's on my heart, which is that people would know me, that people would love me. Use your money now for eternity so that, here's what this means. If, if right now you start spending your money on you and you keep thinking, how can I keep more and how can I eat, drink, be merry and rest, how can I, and you die, that stuff's all gone. That stuff's all gone. You can't keep any of it. People always say, you know, there's no, there's no uh, hearse that's pulling a U-Haul, right? That's what the Egyptians thought. They would store up tons and tons of gold in their tombs, thinking that those people would be able to take it into the next life. And then some archaeologists got lucky, right? Like, oh, guess that was wrong. Jesus is saying this. Whatever you spend here now for you, it goes away. It's gone. But whatever you spend here for the sake of eternity, that's what you can keep. You can only keep what you give. If you say, I'm going to spend my money so that people would know Jesus, so that people would know God, because that's what his heart is. In eternity, that still matters. That there will be people that say, because of the way you spent your money, I'm here. Because of the way you spent your money, I know God. Because of the way you spent your money, I got to know his love. Because of the way you spent, and it still actually matters into eternity. See, Jesus is saying this. Look, we, we all know that investment is important, right? Most, some of you are really good at money. Some of you maybe not so good. Um, but we all know investment's important, whether or not we've done it or not. We know investment's important, right? We know that to invest in something, to not just take what we can immediately right now, we know that's a foolish way to use money, to just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab it right now. I'm going to spend it all right now. The, the, the best way to use money is to say, how can I make my money work for me in the future? We all know that. And Jesus says, yeah, but go even further than that. Go even further than that. Don't just think about how can you use your money to invest so that you've got a sweet retirement. Use your money that takes it all the way to eternity. Use it for things of eternal significance. And, and here's what Jesus says is of eternal significance. People. Here, here's what you should know about this, just as even as you read this text right here. This is especially, I think, helpful for those of you maybe that don't know God or aren't sure what you believe about Jesus or and not sure kind of what, what you believe about him. I, I love this because you know what it's saying? That you, those of you that don't know God, those of you that don't know him, not sure what you believe, you are Jesus' priority. He wants money to be spent on you. Why? Because he wants you to know him. I mean, this is such an amazing passage that Jesus even goes, I'm going to think of a crazy, even negative example to help people understand how much I care about them. How much I want their money to be used for eternal stuff, which is that people would know me and love me and find life with me. So you know what this passage is saying? That, that Jesus really cares for people. And he wants money to be spent on them knowing him and finding life with him because that's of eternal value. So where should our money go? How, how should we use the money that we've been given? And it's this, that it should be strategically used for God's purposes, not just how can I keep getting more? That was what the other guy did. When here's what this practically means, that the starting point of our budget if you've got a budget, and hopefully you do, as you sit down and you make a budget, the starting point for our budget should be, God, this money is yours. It's yours. 
So how can I use it for you? It's yours and you love people and you value people and you want people to know you and, and you look at eternity. God, how can I, how can I use this for you? That, that's what it means practically, that the starting point of our budget should be that. That what governs how we make decisions about our spending should be that. And sometimes when we hear that, we, we feel like, well, I can't afford that. I can't afford to use my money on people. I can't afford to use my money thinking about, God, what, what do you want to be done with this? I can't afford that. I know that sometimes we, we feel that way, but here's, here's part of why. Because it's not the starting point. We start and we go, okay, I, I, need, I need to make sure I pay these bills. I need to make sure I... I need to make sure I get a car. I need to make sure that I get a house. I need to make sure I've got a good school. I need to make sure that I've got uh, these things. I need to make sure I've got this food. I need to make sure I've got this vacation. And then, okay, God, what do you want me to do with my money? But if the starting, Jesus says, no, no, that's not the way to think. The, the starting point should be, God, this money is yours. Where do you want it to be used? And we know that God cares about people and he wants it to be used. But oftentimes we look at our budgets and we go, I, I can't afford that. But it's because that's not the starting point. It's not actually the starting point. It's sometimes like, um, you know, you can have two people that make the same exact amount of money. You can have two people that make the same exact amount of money. And, and one person says, you know what, I'm going to buy this house. Because I, I really want a house that has these kind of bedrooms and it's in this neighborhood. And, and so this is the house I want. And this person goes, man, I could never afford a house like that. This person goes, what are you talking about? We make the same amount of money. But this person, maybe they go, I don't really care about a house. You know, I just want to live in whatever, but I really want to spend money on my, my sweet ski pass and vacations and, and doing this, my hobbies. And that person goes, man, I wish I could take a vacation like that. I wish I could have those kind of hobbies, but I can't afford that. But what is, what, what is it? It's just different priorities. It's different priorities that different people have. And so you can't squeeze, this person with the house can't squeeze into their budget mountain biking and hiking and climbing and skiing and, and Hawaii and Mexico and whatever. They can't squeeze that in because they've already spent it on a house. But this person can't squeeze the house in because they've already spent it on all their hobbies. It's just different priorities. And Jesus is saying, look, I want you to have what governs your decisions about spending. Be eternity. Be people. I want, I want the beginning of your budget to match my heart. You, look, you know this. Whatever you believe, if, is, if, whatever you believe about God, you, you know this. God's heart is not just stuff. It's people, right? God cares about people. And so God says, look, I want your budget to match my heart. And people matter for eternity. So where should our money that we've been given by God to steward go and Jesus wants it to be used for eternity he wants eternity to govern our decisions and I know when we think about this look I know when we talk about this when we think about this here's what happens we start to get afraid maybe you get mad but you start to get afraid what would happen if I actually did that what would happen what would I lose out on if I did that well, I mean, what, think about, if I actually sat down and said, okay, I'm redoing my whole budget tonight, and I'm from the ground up saying, God, it's yours, and I'm going to use it for you, what would happen? And here's what starts to happen. We start to get scared, right? Because what would I lose out on? What would I miss? What, what would I, what, would my life be an experience of basically I've just kind of lost? I've, I've, I'm missing out. And 
a long time, when I was about 10 years old, I, uh, there's a story that always sticks in my mind with this. When I, when I was about 10, I, uh, I went to this kind of kid youth conference thing, and, and it was in some stadium and thousands of people and, and uh, some Christian like you think. Okay, it's probably super stupid, but it was, um, they, they were, they were kind of towards the end uh, of, the, of the thing, kind of towards the end of the afternoon, or, or I guess mid-afternoon, they were doing this, I don't even remember what it was for, I was 10, okay, so, but they were doing this pitch for a special offering, I don't know what it was going to, something in overseas probably, okay, to build houses or orphans or something, okay, so, so some, some pitch for an offering, okay, and, and I had been given by my mom, who's here tonight, uh, I've been given by my mom. I don't know if I've ever told her this story, so about, you're about to hear some secrets, okay? So i had been given by my mom $10, I think, uh, for lunch. I've been given by my mom $10 for lunch, for, for, for this conference, you know, you break for lunchtime or whatever. And I don't know if any of you have ever been around me when I get hungry, but it's like I think I have a medical condition because it's bad. And like I really, I think I should get a prescription and be able to cut in front of lines and say I need food now because I get upset and I get agitated like beyond agitated, okay? Um, and so, and I, I've always had that. And I'm, I'm I mean, I'm, as a kid, I'm 10, and I'm like st- starving, okay? And we're moving towards lunchtime. And I don't care about the starving orphans, like I'm starving, okay? And we're, and then as they're kind of collecting this offering, I feel God putting it on my heart that I needed to give that money. And I was like, this is going to be really bad. God, you don't understand. I'm going to eat somebody's face if that happens, you know. <laughs> do you want me to be a zombie, God? Is that what you're asking me to do? Okay. I, don't, I didn't know what zombies were at that point. But, so I, but I was like, oh, my gosh. So the offering, you know, they start passing, and they probably play, like, some nice slow music or whatever. And offering basket comes by, and I keep that 10, baby. I'm holding on, and it goes because I'm starving. Now, here's what happens. They collect all the offering. They go, okay, now we're going to break for lunch. And lunch is provided out here. And I didn't know that. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I felt guilty. felt horrible. Can I give the 10 bets? It's too late. You know, they didn't let me give it. No, they didn't. I didn't even try, probably. But, um, <laughs> but, I, but I remember, this is, this is why I tell this story. Because I was afraid, if I spend my money on what God wants me to spend it on, I'm going to lose out. If I spend my money on what God wants me to spend it on, I'm, my experience of that is going to be lost. Now, look, not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying if there's something you want and you go spend your money that, you know, oh, I wanted the TV and then the TV just showed up, you know, and I didn't, I'm not saying that, okay? But what I am saying is this, and what the Bible says is this, that the experience that we will have of spending money on what God wants us to spend money on is not going to be lost. Now, maybe I didn't get lunch, but God would have filled my heart and filled my stomach with joy and knowing that I used his money for what he wanted it to be used for. I don't know. But, but here is what the Bible says, and here's even what Jesus said in that story that we looked at, that when we spend money on his purposes, when we, when we say, I'm going to use your money for what you want it to be used on, our experience isn't going to be lost. It's not going to be, man, I really wish I could get that money back. That when you're in eternity and you're there with people that matter to God, that, that you spent money on investing in, you're not going to go, dang, I really wish I could have had that thing. The experience won't be lost. 
It won't be, I wish I could get that back. That's why Jesus says, look, money goes to people. Money goes to people. And over and over again, when the Bible talks about money, it often uses the language even of reward. That we spend money here storing up treasures in heaven. And that doesn't mean there's going to be a treasure chest that you open up. But it, but it means that Jesus is saying, you won't, the experience won't be lost. It will be, man, I, I actually am joyful in how I was able to use my money for what mattered to God. Okay, final thing is this. How do we get started using money in this way? If, if the governing principle should be this, God, money is all yours, it belongs to you, so I'm going to use it for what you want it to be used. And the way we shouldn't use money is, I want to keep this. How can I keep it? If that shouldn't be the driving principle, how do I keep? How do I, how do I fill up my life to match what I've made? But the standard, the, the governing principle should rather be, I'm going to use it for what matters to God. I'm going to use my money strategically for what matters to him, which is people. Then, then how do we get started to use money in this way? Does that mean we, we just give it all to the poor? Does it mean that, look, you, you should only shop at Goodwill. You should only buy rice and beans. You, should, you, know, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be spending your money on anything fun. You should only be spending it on um, missions and, and orphans. And Is that what it means? Does it mean that that's kind of the mentality. How, how do we get started? What do we do? And I'll give you three kind of principles. The first is for those of you that, that feel, may, maybe some of you are, uh, you lean towards the side of generosity. You lean towards the side of, I give my money. I want it to be used on people. And here's sometimes what happens if that's where you lean. You can feel guilty. You can feel guilty that you're never doing enough. You can feel guilty of, should I have this shirt? Should I have these shoes? Should I, should I eat this food? Or maybe you even feel judgmental towards people when you look at what they have and go, well, you shouldn't have that. That could have gone to feed this person. It could have gone to this cause. It could have gone to this thing. And so, so for, for those of us like that, let me say this. So maybe some of you have seen the movie Schindler's List. Have you guys seen that movie? Oh, you need to watch it. It's a great movie. And it tells the story of a man, true story, named Schindler. And he was a German guy that, that owned a factory. And basically, I can't tell you the whole movie, but you should watch it, okay, this week. And he, uh, I've got it if you want to borrow it, but he, um, not, you can't all borrow it, but unless, anyways, okay, so he's a German guy, and he, he starts selling things. He starts selling things in order to be able to save some Jews. So he sells, he sells this, you know, piece of machinery he has in his factory, and that saves 100 Jews because he's able to buy off some of the Germans. He sells this, and he's, okay, now here's what happens. At the end, at the, at the very end, he's got kind of thousands, or I don't, I don't know how many, maybe a thousand or so Jews kind of lined up, and, and it's at the end, they got to kind of evacuate, they got to get out of there because the Nazis are taking over, and, and here's what happens, and he had saved, he, I think he had, I can't remember how many it is, but a couple thousand at least, people, a couple thousand Jews, okay, maybe more, but here's what happens at the end. He, he looks at his car, and he goes, that could have been 10 more. Why did I keep the car? That could have been 10 more people. And then he looks at his watch and he goes, that could have been two more people. Now, here, here's the problem. That, that never ends. You see, for those of you that maybe are on more of the generous side and you like to give your money and you like to invest in people, but then you feel guilty like Schindler, that never ends. 
So maybe two people for the watch and 10 people for the car and one person for the tie. I mean, I don't know, you know. That, that, that thinking never ends. I like the way an old pastor, John Calvin, says it. He says this, if a man begins to doubt whether he may use linen for his sheets, linen's kind of nicer, shirts, handkerchiefs, and napkins, he will afterwards be uncertain also about hemp. I think hemp's kind of expensive now, but back then it would have been like, okay, I can't, you know, may, maybe I can't actually even use that. He, he will turn over his mind whether he can sup, eat food, without napkins. Should I even buy these napkins? Or go without a handkerchief. If any man should consider daintier food unlawful, in the end he will not be at peace before God when he eats either black bread or common victuals. While it occurs to him that he could sustain his body on even coarser food. So maybe I'm not going to buy a $100 steak, but I'm just going to eat a Chipotle. But really, do you need Chipotle? Can't you just have Top Ramen? Do you really need Top Ramen? Can't, can't you just eat rice? I mean, you, you, it never stops. If he boggles at sweet wine, he will not with clear conscience drink even a flat wine. And finally, he will not dare touch water if sweeter and cleaner than other water. See, it just, it never stops. So, so here's my encouragement to those of you that maybe are on the generous side and you like to give, but then sometimes feel guilt or judgmental towards other people. It's this, look, God wants us to enjoy things. We talked about that a few weeks ago. God wants us to enjoy things. He doesn't want us to operate out of guilt. Now, look, there's a tension there. There's a tension there because Jesus calls the other dude a fool that's going eat, drink, be merry, relax. There, there's a tension, okay? I can't give you necessarily a hard, fast rule here. There's a, there's a tension, but, but we know that God wants us to enjoy what he's given to us. There's another old pastor, a Puritan guy. He says this, we need to guard our lives against the love of riches and worldly cares, okay? We need to do that. All love for earthly goods, however, is not a sin. Their sweetness is a drop of his love, and they have his goodness imprinted on them. They kindle our love for him as love tokens from our dearest friend. Loving them is a duty, not a sin. And even in Deuteronomy, God says this to his people. It says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. God actually judges people for not serving him with joyfulness and gladness because of the abundance that he's given to them. Because it's, it's like a bratty kid that their parent gives them something and they say, I don't want that. You could have given that to somebody else that needed it. Well, maybe you would go, man, that's really cool of you. But, but if you do that every single time, you're going to go, you're a brat and ungrateful. I want you to enjoy this present. So that's kind of the first thing. How do we get started in using money this way? That, that's just, I want those of you that feel a guilt to know this. Look, God wants you to enjoy what he's given to you. God wants you to enjoy what he's given you. Now, there is a tension there because God wants us to use Second thing is this, God wants us to be strategic in how we use the money. This is how we get started using money this way. Start to think about people. Start thinking about your money and how it can be used to invest in people for eternity. Now that doesn't just mean we, we send money to sex trafficking and to, to, to end sex trafficking. It doesn't mean we just do that and, and to wells. And to, it doesn't just mean that. It can mean that. But it's also strategic for people to... to to create a home that's hospitable, 
to serve people a meal, to buy people a present. It's also, it's also invested in people to make your house look pretty and have candles because that blesses people. Some, some of you married people are like, yeah, let's get the candles. I told you. When uh, I don't have a lot of time to tell this story, but when we were married, I was like, we don't need to register for dishes and stuff. We can just go to Goodwill. And my wife was like, Lord. Okay, so um, <laughs> we registered. Um, but um, at Goodwill, we registered at Goodwill. Um, compromise, baby. That's what marriage is all about. To be strategic is to use our money to invest in people. To be strategic is to use our money to invest in people. But that doesn't just mean, okay, it's got to go to the person that's dying and starving. It can mean God cares about people. He wants them to have a place where they feel loved and blessed and experience hospitality. And, and time is another thing to think about. If you think about investing in people being strategic, sometimes we go, you know what, I, here, you, you know what? I'm going to spend all my money I don't want to be wasteful in my money on food. This is just a silly example, okay? I don't want to spend all my money wasted on food, so I'm going to get tons of coupons. So I'm going to go to this store, and 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 I'm going to go to this store, so I can make sure I, I, I get the best value. But then you just wasted a bunch of time. Now, I'm not saying which one is better. Maybe, maybe you should do that. Maybe you should coupon all over the place, okay? But time is valuable, too. Spending all that money going all over the place maybe is not time spent investing in people. That's just something to think about, that sometimes we're really, we're really kind of narrow-sighted and focused when we think about, okay, my money should go towards people, for those of us that grasp the, the Bible's vision about that. But then what we end up doing is, is actually narrowing what investing in people means. But investing in people can mean a lot of things. And then third is this. All of us need to consider to get started in using our money this way. God says to build our budget, being rich towards him. And you gotta ask yourself that question. Is my budget built on being rich towards God? Is my budget built on God's priorities? Is my budget built on that? And if you don't even know where to start on that, if you don't even know, what do I do? Or if you don't even know if you want to do that, you know what Jesus says? He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and seal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then this line, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, this is a really good principle because here's what it says. Wherever you put your treasure, wherever you put your money, your heart will follow. You know this. If you've ever put money into something, you know, I've invested in stocks before that I didn't know anything about the company. I didn't invest in the company because I love the company. I invested it just because. And then my heart cared about it. I remember I, I bet on a, a March Madness uh, poll several years ago, and I don't, I don't know anything about college basketball. And, but when I put my money into the pool, I was like, man, I'm going to follow those teams. I'm going to care because wherever you put your treasure, your heart follows. And so look, Jesus says this, I want you to build your budget. I want you to build your money. I want you to build your treasure on what matters to me. And if you go, well, I don't feel it, he says, it doesn't matter. Put your treasure somewhere and your heart will start to follow. Your heart will start to follow. Imagine if all our money was actually, I mean, what would happen? I mean, think about just even in this room, what would happen if, if all of our money was actually built on God's purposes? It was built around his purpose. 
And Jesus says what would happen. He says in eternity, there would be people that say, I'm here because of you. I'm here because your money was used to invest in what mattered to God, and I mattered to God. Why should, why should we govern our spending around him? Why should we govern our spending around him? Here's what the Bible says that he did for us. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. That means you were bought, you were ransomed. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You know what this is saying? It's saying that Jesus, Jesus used what was most precious and valuable to him, which wasn't things that perished or moth and rust destroyed. It wasn't silver. It wasn't gold. He used what was most precious to him to buy what was most precious to him. When we take communion, what we remember is that Jesus had his body broken and he has blood shed, the precious blood of Christ. It was shed. Why? To buy something. And Jesus spent his money, he spent his resources on something that was valuable to him, that mattered for eternity. What was that? It was us. It was us having a relationship with him. It was us being able to know him. It was us having our sins removed and forgiven and, and the old ways that we've lived in and inherited. He said, I'm going to buy you out of that. So here's the good news. It's not that Jesus wants your money. It's that Jesus wants you. Because what matters to God, what matters to Jesus is people. So he spent everything he had to get us. And then he invites us in to say, I want you to use your money for the same thing. To use your money on what matters most to me, which is people. Because that's how, if you're a Christian, that's how you got in. Jesus said, I'm going to use what's most precious. I'm going to use something more expensive than gold and silver and cash and credit. I'm going to use my blood to buy you to forgive you, to clean you, to remove everything that would stand in the way and make you mine. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have done that. Thank you, Jesus, that you sent, you sent yourself to this earth to redeem us, to bring us into your family. God, I know that money is a tricky issue for all of us, and it's hard to think about money, and, and we get a lot of emotions stirred up about money. And Lord, I pray that even as we sing and as we take communion, that we would remember that you spent what was most valuable to you to bring us into your family. You spent the most valuable thing you could spend, not money, not gold, not silver, but your own blood to forgive us, to clean us, to make us yours, because we matter to you. And so I thank you for that, Lord, and pray that you would make that truth go deeper into our hearts. Amen.